Part two of My Buried Treasure by Richard Harding Davis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Part two. It was a day in early October. The haze of Indian summer was in the air, and as we crossed the North River by the twenty-third Street ferry, the sun flashed upon the white clouds overhead and the tumbling waters below on each side of us great vessels with the blue peter at the fore lay at the wharfs ready to cast off or were already nosing their way down the channel towards strange and beautiful ports lamport and holt were rolling down to rio the royal mail's magdalena no longer white and gold was off to kingston where once seven pirates swung in chains the clyde was on her way to haiti where the buccaneers came from the moro castle was bound for havana which morgan king of all the pirates had once made his own and the red d was steaming to porto cabello where sir francis drake as big a buccaneer as any of them lies entombed in her harbour and i was setting forth on a buried treasure expedition on a snub-nosed flat-bellied fresh-water ferry-boat bound for new jersey no one will ever know my sense of humiliation and when the italian boy insulted my immaculate tan shoes by pointing at them and saying shine i could have slain him fancy digging for buried treasure in freshly varnished boots but edgar did not mind to him there was nothing lacking it was just as it should be he was deeply engrossed in calculating how many offices were for rent in the singer building when we reached the other side he refused to answer any of my eager questions he would not let me know even for what place on the line he had purchased our tickets and as a hint that i should not disturb him he stuffed into my hands the latest magazines at least tell me this i demanded have you ever been to this place before to-day once said edgar shortly last week that's when i found out i would need someone with me who could dig how do you know it's the right place i whispered the summer season was over and of the chair-car we were the only occupants but before he answered edgar looked cautiously around him and out of the window we had just passed red bank because the map told me he answered suppose he continued fretfully you had a map of new york city with the streets marked on it plainly suppose the map said that if you walked to where broadway and fifth avenue meet you would find the flatiron building do you think you could find it was it as easy as that i gasped it was as easy as that said edgar i sank back into my chair and let the magazines slide to the floor 
what fiction story was there in any one of them so enthralling as the actual possibilities that lay before me in two hours i might be bending over a pot of gold a sea-chest stuffed with pearls and rubies i began to recall all the stories i had heard as a boy of treasure buried along the coast by kidd on his return voyage from the indies where along the jersey sea-line were their safe harbours the train on which we were racing south had its rail hid at barnegat bay and between barnegat and red bank there now was but one other inlet that of the manasquan river it might be barnegat it might be manasquan it could not be a great distance from either towards the ocean down a broad sandy road the season had passed and the windows of the cottages and bungalows on either side of the road were barricaded with planks on the verandas hammocks abandoned to the wind hung in tatters on the back porches the doors of empty refrigerators swung open on one hinge and on every side above the fields of gorgeous goldenrod rose signs hidding for rent when we had progressed in silence for a mile the sandy avenue lost itself in the deeper sand of the beach and the horse of his own will came to a halt on one side we were surrounded by locked and deserted bathing-houses on the other by empty pavilions shuttered and barred against the winter but still inviting one to try our salt-water taffy or to keep cool with an ice-cream soda rupert turned and looked inquiringly at edgar to the north the beach stretched in an unbroken line to manasquan inlet to the south three miles away we could see floating on the horizon like a mirage the hotels and summer cottages of bay head drive toward the inlet directed edgar this gentleman and i will walk relieved of our weight the horse stumbled bravely into the trackless sand while below on the damper and firmer shingle we walked by the edge of the water the tide was coming in and the spent waves spreading before them an advance guard of tiny shells and pebbles threatened our boots and at the same time in soothing lazy whispers warned us of their attack these lisping murmurs and the crash and roar of each incoming wave as it broke were the only sounds and on the beach we were the only human figures at last the scene began to bear some resemblance to one set for an adventure the rolling ocean a coast steamer dragging a great column of black smoke and cast high upon the beach the wreck of a schooner her masts tilting drunkenly gave colour to our purpose it became filled with greater promise of drama more picturesque i began to thrill with excitement i regarded edgar appealingly 
in eager supplication at last he broke the silence that was torturing me we will now walk higher up he commanded if we get our feet wet we may take cold my spirit was too far broken to make a reply but to my relief i saw that in leaving the beach edgar had some second purpose with each heavy step he was drawing toward two high banks of sand in a hollow behind which protected by the banks were three stunted wind-driven pines his words came back to me so many what you may call ems were these pines the three somethings from something the what you may call ems the thought chilled me to the spine i gazed at them fascinated i felt like falling on my knees in the sand and tearing their secret from them with my bare hands i was strong enough to dig them up by the roots strong enough to dig the panama canal i glanced tremulously at edgar his eyes were wide open and eloquent with dismay his lower jaw had fallen he turned and looked at me for the first time with consideration apology and remorse were written in every line of his countenance i'm sorry he stammered i had a cruel premonition i exclaimed with distress you have lost the map i hissed no no protested edgar but i entirely forgot to bring any lunch with violent mutterings i tore off my upper and outer garments and tossed them into the hack where do i begin i asked edgar pointed to a spot inside the triangle formed by the three trees and equally distant from each put that horse behind the bank i commanded where no one can see him and both you and rupert keep off the skyline from the north and south we were now all three hidden by the two high banks of sand to the east lay the beach and the atlantic ocean and to the west stretches of marshes that a mile away met a wood of pine trees and the railroad round house i began to dig i knew that weary hours lay before me and i attacked the sand leisurely and with deliberation it was at first no great effort but as the hole grew in depth and the roots of the trees were exposed the work was sufficient for several men still as edgar had said it is not every day that one can dig for treasure and in thinking of what was to come i forgot my hands that quickly blistered and my breaking back after an hour i insisted that edgar should take a turn but he made such a poor headway that my patience could not contain me and i told him i was sufficiently rested and would continue with alacrity he scrambled out of the hole and taking a cigar from my case seated himself comfortably in the hack 
i took my comfort in anticipating the thrill that would be mine when the spade would ring on the iron-bound chest when with a blow of the axe i would expose to view the hidden jewels the pieces of eight coated with verdigris the string of pearls the chains of yellow gold edgar had said a million dollars that must mean there would be diamonds many diamonds i would hold them in my hands watch them at the sudden sunshine blink their eyes and burst into tiny burning fires in imagination i would replace them in the setting from which years before they had been stolen i would try to guess whence they came from a jewelled chalice in some dim cathedral from the breast of a great lady from the hilt of an admiral's sword after an hour i lifted my aching shoulders and wiping the sweat from my eyes looked over the edge of the hall rupert with his back to the sand-hill was asleep edgar with one hand was waving away the mosquitoes and in the other was holding one of the magazines he had bought on the way down i could even see the page upon which his eyes were riveted it was an advertisement for breakfast food in my indignation the spade slipped through my cramped and perspiring fingers and as it struck the bottom of the pit something a band of iron a steel lock an iron ring gave forth a muffled sound my heart stopped beating as suddenly as though mr corbett had hit it with his closed fist my blood turned to melted ice i drove the spade down as fiercely as though it was a dagger it sank into rotten wood i had made no sound for i could hardly breathe but the slight noise of the blow had reached edgar i heard the springs of the hack creak as he vaulted from it and the next moment he was towering above me peering down into the pit his eyes were wide with excitement greed and fear in his hands he clutched the two suitcases like a lion defending his cubs he glared at me get out he shouted like hell i said get out he roared i'll do the rest that's mine not yours get out with a swift kick i brushed away the sand i found i was standing on a squat wooden box bound with bands of rusty iron i had only to stoop to touch it it was so rotten that i could have torn it apart with my bare hands edgar was dancing on the edge of the pit incidentally kicking sand into my mouth and nostrils you promised me he roared you promised to obey me you ass i shouted haven't i done all the work don't i get you get out roared edgar slowly disgustedly with what dignity one can display in crawling out of a sand-pit i scrambled to the top go over there commanded edgar pointing and sit down 
in furious silence i seated myself beside rupert he was still slumbering and snoring happily from where i sat i could see nothing of what was going forward in the pit save once when the head of edgar his eyes aflame and his hair and eyeglasses sprinkled with sand appeared above it apparently he was fearful lest i had moved from the spot where he had placed me i had not but had he known my inmost feelings he would have taken the axe into the pit with him i must have sat so for half an hour in the sky above me a fish-hawk drifted lazily from the beach sounded the steady beat of the waves and from the town across the marshes came the puffing of a locomotive and the clanging bells of the freight trains the breeze from the sea cooled the sweat on my aching body but it could not cool the rage in my heart if i had the courage of my feelings i would have cracked edgar overhead with the spade buried him in the pit bribed rupert and for ever after lived happily on my ill-gotten gains that was how kidd or morgan or blackbeard would have acted i cursed the effet civilization which had taught me to want many pleasures but had left me with a conscience that would not let me take human life to obtain them not even edgar's life in half an hour a suitcase was lifted into view and dropped on the edge of the pit it was followed by the other and then by edgar without asking me to help him because he probably knew i would not he shovelled the sand into the hole and then placed the suitcases into the carriage with increasing anger i observed that the contents of each were so heavy that to lift it he used both hands there is no use your asking any questions he announced because i won't answer them i gave him minute directions as to where he could go but instead we drove in black silence to the station there edgar rewarded rupert with a dime and while we waited for the train to new york placed the two suitcases against the wall of the ticket office and sat upon them when the train arrived he warned me in a hoarse whisper that i had promised to help him guard the treasure and gave me one of the suitcases it weighed a ton just to spite edgar i had a plan to kick it open so that every one on the platform might scramble for the contents but again my infernal new england conscience restrained me edgar had secured the drawing-room in the parlour-car and when we were safely inside and the door bolted my curiosity became stronger than my pride edgar i said your ingratitude is contemptible your suspicions are ridiculous but under these most unusual conditions i don't blame you but you are quite safe now the door is fastened I pointed out ingratiatingly it and this train doesn't stop for another forty minutes i think this would be an excellent time to look at the treasure 
"'I don't,' said Edgar. I sank back into my chair. With intense enjoyment I imagined the train in which we were seated hurling itself into another train, and everybody, including Edgar, or, rather, especially Edgar, being instantly but painlessly killed. By such an act of all-wise providence I would at once become heir to one million dollars. It was a beautiful, satisfying dream. Even my conscience accepted it with a smug smile. It was so vivid a dream that I sat guiltily expectant, waiting for the crash to come, for the shrieks and screams, for the rush of escaping steam and breaking window panes but it was far too good to be true without a jar the train carried us and its precious burden into safety to the jersey city terminal and each with half a million dollars in his hand hurried to the ferry assailed by porters newsboys hackmen to them we were a couple of commuters, saving a dime by carrying our own handbags. It was now six o'clock, and I pointed out to Edgar that at that hour the only vaults open were those of the night and day bank, and to that institution in a taxicab we at once made our way i paid the chauffeur and two minutes later with a gasp of relief and rejoicing i dropped the suitcase i had carried on a table in the steel-walled fastnesses of the vaults gathered excitedly around us were the officials of the bank summoned hastily from above and watchmen in plain clothes and watchmen in uniforms of grey great bars as thick as my leg protected us walls of chilled steel rising from solid rock stood between our treasure and the outer world until then i had not known how tremendous the nervous strain had been but now it came home to me i mopped my perspiration from my forehead i drew a deep breath edgar i exclaimed happily i congratulate you i found edgar extending towards me a two-dollar bill you gave the chauffeur two dollars he said the fare was really only one dollar eighty so you owe me twenty cents mechanically i laid two dimes upon the table all the other expenses continued edgar which i agreed to pay i have paid he made a peremptory gesture i won't detain you any longer he said good-night good-night i cried don't i see the treasure against the walls of chilled steel my voice rose like that of a tortured soul don't i touch it i yelled don't i even get a squint even the watchmen looked sorry for me you do not said edgar calmly you have fulfilled your part of the agreement i have fulfilled mine a year from now you can write the story 
as i moved in a dazed state towards the steel door his voice halted me and you can say in your story called edgar that there is only one way to get a buried treasure that is to go and get it end of part two end of my buried treasure by richard harding davis recorded by caroline in september two thousand and twelve in Groningen in the netherlands thank you for listening